Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. Thank you, Pastor Michael, if you're watching this morning, for trusting me um, to do this. Thank you for being such a good church family that the last time I stood up here, it was nothing but love. It was so wonderful. So after 42 days, this is my husband Pete over here. Hi, Pete. Everybody can wave. We either, he was traveling, I was traveling, our family was traveling, or we were hosting for 42 days this summer. We were gone kind of a lot. So collapsing into your arms this morning feels really, really good, and seeing your faces. Um, I think we're going to see some similarities in the passage that uh, we've set aside here for this morning. He threw me a meatball, Pastor Michael did. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible, and if I screw it up, It would be really, really hard. It really would. Um, First, I'd like to ask you a question, though. In these travels, we were in Florida. We were surrounded by Taekwondo community. We went to New York City. That's all sorts of cultures there. We spent a lot of time in the Midwest. And in watching all of these different types of people live and love and grow and just function together, you start to see that there are more similarities than there are differences in people groups. Have you ever noticed that? No, nobody's noticed, that's fine. Okay, are any of you people watchers, be honest? Yeah, it's such good people watching, right? And as you look around and you wonder where they're coming from, and you start to, any storytellers? Anybody tell stories about the people they see? (laughs) I've got their life story figured out. I've written it. I knew how they woke up this morning. It's a really fun exercise when you're on the subway especially. But anyway, as I was trying to figure out a title for today's uh, message, I typed in, does God, is God, what is, faith, those types of terms. You ever do that? You know the predictive text I'm talking about? I know the youngers do, stay with me. Olders, do you know what I'm talking about, the predictive text? Okay, those words that come in mean it's the most popular search on the internet. And when you type in, and you can try this when you, when you get home, does God love everyone is one of the major search terms that pops up. Did you know that? Does God love everyone? Ugh. That's heavy. That is a heavy question to be asking about God. And so in my mind, this creative mind, I start thinking, what type of person is typing in, does God love everyone? because I think they might actually be asking, does God love me? Or does God love my problem child sibling? Does they love my friend, my spouse who's doing these terrible things or whatever it is? And you start to kind of profile the type of person that would type in a question like that. The type of person who's probably a lot like me and you, if we're to be honest. One of the best things about my job, I am unapologetically a counselor first, secondary, I hide behind a computer screen and I write, I do ghostwriting and things like that for other people, which is comfortable, right? I get to flow words and nobody gets to know where they're coming from and I get to stay safe. This is not necessarily comfortable (laughs) in this part, but it still is communication, right? And the common thread in all of those things is trying to figure out where we fit in. It's trying to figure out if we're worthy these questions in the internet and the roles I'm doing now and in the sacred place of the counseling room. If you've ever been in counseling, you know you just set one foot inside the door 
and it's like almost another realm. In the subway, you get to pop up, and you take in your surroundings, and it is like you're in a little different world each time you pop up out of the, the city subway station, if you've ever done that. In therapy, it's the same thing. But the thing that it has in common is when you're typing words into the search box, you expect anonymity. Anonymity. You expect to be private, and nobody knows what you're doing. <laughs> in therapy, you expect it to be private, and nobody knows what you're doing and you can be the most authentic version of yourself, for better or for worse, right? Those are the two things that the internet and therapy have in common. The thing about therapy, though, is that you get to do it together. And that's one of my favorite parts. Because my job is not necessarily even healer. I just have to show up, because the healer lives in me, right? That's a whole nother talk for a different day. But I get to rearrange dialogues, because I don't know if you've noticed it, you walked through the door today with a story in your mind. You had an expectation, you had a story already set and a narrative that you were telling yourself about who you are, who you are in relationship to this church, who you expected to see on the stage, who you now see on the stage and what you think about that. And it's all <laughs> these stories that are being reinforced and then we bring them together and we start to create something called culture, right? It's kind of like a growing, a growing thing. So my job is not actually to force healing, to ask just the perfect question about healing. My job is actually to form, mold, and shape conversations that either dismantle, take certain parts of a story out that aren't working anymore, reinforce the ones that actually are true and are helpful, or solidify the one that the client's already telling him or herself. Does that make sense? It is all script. It is all movie, it is all story, and it all comes from our place, our ability to know whether or not we're loved, whether or not we belong, whether or not there is a God who watches over us. It's real light, light, right? Light, <laughs> light themes that we talk about in therapy. But you can't open the word without going deep, can you? Because there's something about it that always touches our deepest need and our biggest, scariest questions, and therefore, we oftentimes tend to ask them in private, dark places instead of open places. So, I'm gonna say that some of the worst stories I probably started telling myself were in mental math in the sixth grade. Did anybody else experience the torture of standing up at the chalkboard trying to figure out a math equation while people judged you? And there was a timer running? It was awful. It's the worst thing. Those of you who are good at math and those of you who don't break a sweat, I'm both slightly irritated at you and also I stand in awe, let's be honest. But that's where it started. It was the first time I ever cried because of my anxiety in front of a classroom. The second time I cried due to anxiety in front of other people was during my senior interview. In high school, we had to go through these mock interviews to get ready for college. And we'd had um, somewhat of a difficult time with one of our classmates, um, junior into senior year, and I bawled like a baby. And you could have seen the looks on these people's faces, right? Like, she's not ready. I feel like that's, that response is a little big in comparison to what we've asked her to do. <laughs> so now here I stand with some of those early experiences and what could be happening in me. You're not a speaker, you're a writer. What are you doing up there, right? Liar, you said you'd never speak and you're certainly never gonna like it. Don't, what? 
if you don't do a good job, Saltbox will actually look bad, like really bad. Ah, I'll take it a step further. Actually, I should probably just say no to this opportunity to spare Saltbox. I'm smart, right? I'm going to spare. We're not even going to worry about Saltbox looking bad, right? And so these stories that we tell ourselves, in my case, in this example, is a combination of critical voices, insecure voices, other people's voices who hold different levels of confidence and opinion, church culture, theology, right? And my sixth grade math teacher and my high school principal. I forgive you. No, just kidding. <laughs> but we have all of these examples of eavesdropping, whether it's said straight to our face or we've overheard other people talk about who we are and what we do. Think about parent-teacher conferences. Think about where do you get the best information as a kid? Is it from your parents? Okay, friends, yeah. No, it's listening through their door, right? Have you ever done that? Yeah, pure, unfiltered, unadulterated truth that your parents will never say to you. They'll try, but they'll also change it to developmental appropriateness or whatever, but you think you're ready to hear the real thing. Are you always ready to hear the real thing? Whoa, no, 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 no. But in eavesdropping, I would argue that we actually learn more about God, ourselves, the world, and where we fit into it than we do direct education any day of the week. You know what I'm talking about? Observing how other people respond to us overhearing how they make sense of the world, comparing the way we make sense of the world to the way they're making sense of the world. I bring this up because today is a simple passage, but it's a heavy passage. And we're not only talking from a micro perspective, our hearts, but we're talking from a church systems perspective as well. Because you'll see that in John 17, Jesus begins by praying for himself then he covers the believers who are doing the work, and then he, he moves into a time of thinking about the people who are yet to come, the people who we're going to be working with. It's really beautiful. It's a little bit complex. We're going to try to make it simple. But I do want to acknowledge the systemic portion of it, especially on the front end. Um, one of my friends sent me this book. It's Brian Zond, if you've ever heard of him. Um, it's called When Everything's on Fire, um, Forging Faith from the Ashes. It is a book about that big, you know, hot-button term, deconstruction, that people tend to flip out over. Um, but it's done really well, and it's not actually pro-deconstruction. It's about how to have uh, faith over the long haul and how to constantly be in the Word and check your own stories against the stories that are in the Word. So I'm going to open up with a passage from him, and then we're going to dive in um, to John 17. Pastor Zan says, Think of an ancient icon of Christ. Imagine that a thousand-year-old Christ is painted on a wooden panel, and it's discovered in some forgotten monastery. The image of Christ is there, but it's covered with a thick layer of grime and dirt and soot. It's accumulated over centuries. It's nearly obliterated the image of Christ. Christianity in the 21st century may be like a lost icon found in a forgotten monastery. The Christian faith has indeed been distorted by centuries. Layers of varnish, lacquer, dirt, and grime, and the beautiful image of Christ has been obscured by cultural assumptions, political agendas, distorted doctrines, and corrupting influence of empire. Fundamentalism, literalism, nationalism, consumers, all the isms, right, have created layers of varnish that distort the beautiful image of Christ himself. 
We move forward, and he explains that religion primarily consists of vetted beliefs and traditional practices, the ones that help us to encounter the divine. We hear religion doesn't save you. Of course not. That's not what it was intended to do. Jesus Christ is the salvation, not Christianity. Jesus is the Savior, not some religion. But the Christian religion does have a purpose, and sometimes we forget it. The first is to preserve and pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus can thank the religion for making it even possible. Because without the Christian religion, Jesus would be almost entirely unknown and certainly less known than his Jewish contemporary Philo of Alexandria. The presence of the Christian religion makes faith in Jesus Christ possible for future generations. It needs to be properly formed in prayer because prayers are not intended to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. That's heavy, that part. Yeah. The stories we're telling ourselves, the stories our church is telling itself and within ourselves, and the way we pass that through the generations is everything. In John 17, we go back to the source, straight from Jesus' mouth. What did he say? What is the foundation of everything we should understand about us, each other, and the world around us? We're going back to basics. I think as I open up 17, what I would love to ask you, and I'm going to ask you again at the end, what story will you be telling yourself about our creator by the end? Does he truly love everyone? Do you actually believe that he loves you? Is it a little bit more nuanced than what you first thought? So let's jump in. Side note, I don't know if you've ever heard John 17 read by a woman with a soft voice. I don't know. I tried. I searched. I went through all the videos. The English really love their accent, so there's 4,263 English videos of somebody reading John 17. I looked at the video ones. I was going to show you one of those. I thought it would be great in this big, booming voice, but then there was like that, that uh, overdramatic music overlay. You know what I'm talking about? When they try to make it historical and all. And I told this to Pastor Michael, and he laughed at me. I need you to know that. He laughed at me. And he said, they need to hear it in a woman's voice. And they need to hear it in different dialects. And they need to hear it on different continents. I'm filling in some of these blanks with some of my own words, but that was the general gist. And they need to hear it from children, and they need to hear it from adults, and they need to hear it from old people. You see where I'm going with this? And that's why I love him so much. He expects us to take responsibility for reading and knowing and hearing this in different voices and understanding how that applies to us. Anyway, I digress. Okay. 17. We're starting right at the beginning if you want to open up uh, with us. Lord God, please touch us with this word. We thank you for this opportunity, God, to hear straight from you. Get me out of my own way, Lord. Get the voices in, in our church, get those out of the way, and just let us encounter you and sit here for a while. It is a privilege. It is an honor to experience this holy listening, as one of my favorite pastors would say. Father, prepare our hearts in the way of holy 
overhearing, listening, and to just receive it. Amen. 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I invite you for for a moment, just pause. Can you picture this? Maybe in the way of a movie, in the way of a script. How do you see this deity, this three-in-one, postured? Do you understand that the I am is speaking to the I am, and the I am is over here observing or moving amongst or between or? This is not normal, you guys. (laughs) This is not, if you are a visual thinker, think about what this looks like. Now, maybe some of you will readily admit that you have a weird creative life. I do. I'm owning it. In this stage of life, I'm owning it. I do. I picture Jesus, you know, Middle Eastern Jesus, speaking up, and I can only see God from here down, sitting in his chair, right, because I've never seen his face. And then I picture Holy Spirit kind of over here ready to tag team in. Have you ever tried to picture Holy Spirit? Come on, just me? Let me fill you in, in case you need a visual. I watch way too much Marvel with my kids. They're really into it right now. We've got elementary kids. We've got middle school kids. So in case you were wondering, Holy Spirit looks like the Northern Lights, okay, in a general form of a person, but like standing kind of like a torch, okay, just waiting in the corner while Jesus is having this prayer. Creative license here. Do not send any emails to Pastor Michael, please. Do not. Creative license, okay? Okay. And also, in case you're wondering, he looks a little bit different when he's actually on the move because it's cobblestone streets. It's always cobblestone streets and really ornate historical buildings, right? When something powerful is on the move. So Holy Spirit on the move is going through a cobblestone street and he's glimmering like the northern lights, but it's like a whoosh, 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 doing magical things. And then in the evil dark places, the corners where like the windows are closed and the doors are locked tight, you have just that little crack And then it's like an unfurling fog of sparkle where it takes away all the evil and brings light and life. Yeah. Are you following? It's simple. Clear as mud. Yes. Okay. The I am is praying to the I am. And the I am is sparkling and swirling over here doing, I don't know what, supporting, clarifying the communication, bonding. I'm not sure. But I think it's a little hard for us to wrap our heads around in this human form, isn't it? It's, it's big. It's big. And he's talking to himself, but from a certain part of himself that, yes, has been confined to this human form for a while. And we could spend so much time on all this, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to pull out a couple really wonderful observations that at least I've made. Maybe your mind will go in a different place, and I would love to talk that about. Uh, about that with you at the picnic. 
the confidence that he starts with stands out to me. I knew this was coming. This was the work that I had to do. I've actually done the work. I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to be reunited. These words are very powerful. He says, will you glorify me, right, so I can glorify you? I've finished the work. Now glorify me in your presence, the glory I had before the world began. Okay, now we have this vision of three and one. We have this timeline that totally extends our understanding as humans. Bring me back to glory, the kind that I had before the world was created. What does that mean? So I looked it up because I like the thesaurus. And Strong's uh, Greek is the closest I can find to a thesaurus for Christians. So I got in there. Glory, honor, renown, and especially divine quality, the unspoken manifestation of God, splendor. How would our understanding of the unbelievably supernatural change, if we could somehow get a small grasp on the fact that our three-in-one deity, the part sent to live in skin, to get to know us, is asking to be restored to his deity. I'm tired, I'm hurt, I've completed the work. We know, we know that's how he feels, right? Because after this, he goes into the garden, so I'm kind of connecting these two thoughts. Bring me home. We've done what we've wanted to do. Bring me home. I still have another thing left, but I'm ready. I'm ready when you are. Return me to my full glory. If that doesn't both preserve the mystery of how God works and also expand your imagination, I'm not sure what will. He understands how painful it is to be here because then he transitions beautifully to speak to what it is to be here. Does that make sense? Ish? Because it doesn't make sense. It's not the way we live here. It's not the way we live here. He turns the corner as we hop into 6 through 19, and he covers the people. You'll see in 6, he says, I've revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. They're yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I'll know I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So they may be one as we are one. God, that's big. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world anymore than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. That, that's a lot. Can we agree that that's a lot? That's, if we don't get through it, we don't get through it. Um, also, I'm not a theologian. I come, I come from so much experiential just heart. So I'm not even going to pretend to want to break this down line by line with you. They were yours. You gave them to me for a little while. My mind can't not go to parenting or a neighbor you love or a best friend who maybe you didn't get to keep the whole time, right? Kind of part ways. There are seasons in our life, and I even hate that I'm saying that there are seasons in the life. It's so cliche. But there is sometimes an understanding that people reason season lifetime, right? We hear that all the time in the Christian world. His understanding of his responsibility and role to have us for a short amount of time is really powerful. That stands out to me. I have to leave, they'll remain. This world has hated them. Have you ever felt judged for your faith? Okay, forget faith. Have you ever been judged for anything? Your parenting, the way you do your job, the things you're dressing, uh, things that you can't even control, <laughs> things that you were born with, the way, the way you say things. Uh, yeah, so I think we can all say that, that we've been judged for things like that. This is a choice to be judged, to choose Jesus. However, it's because he proved that he was who he said he was. And it was because he proved that the name is Jesus. It is Yahweh. It is I am, right? He showed us who he was. Therefore, we gave him glory in return because we could trust his reputation. He showed us that and he earned it through trust over time with all these documents that we have about who he was. And we do the same things in our own lives. He also says, <clears throat> I understand what they're going up against. It's going to be really hard. Their lives are going to be hard. Things aren't going to be perfect. Don't take them out of it, though. Leave them right where they are because I'm going to be with them. Instead, I'm going to ask protection. I'm going to ask that they stay in the truth and that they stay together in unity. And I'm even going to ask that the full measure of my joy be within them while they're going through all these hard things. Man, I kind of want to go with him sometimes, you know. I don't want to stay here where it's hard. Are you kidding me? I want to go with you. I want to see your glory. I want to be closer to you. I want to share in that. That word sanctify too stands out. I don't know if any of you kind of cringe when you get to those churchy words. I don't know what they mean. I don't necessarily like them when people use them because they tend not to provide a whole lot of context. And like, yeah, that's fine and well. And we say these things, blessed and glory and sanctified and redeemed and all this, but how does that apply to me and you? In the context of this is to set apart, to separate from the rest. They're mine. They're mine. We're each other's. We're both around and beside and within each other and ourselves in complete unity. This is hard. These are really abstract concepts, aren't they? I mean... I'm asking you to think in different ways that, that we don't typically think. We get in go mode, we do the things, we do our to-do list, and that's it. But now we're talking about abstract beings talking in different ways about 
the trajectory of humankind in the kingdom. It's big and it's deep. And I would invite you even after this just to sit in it and read it a number of different times. So how does this apply? How can we make it a little bit more tangible? One of the moments that stood out from the summer was spending time in New York City. I like it okay there, but I tend to be a person, I'd rather disappear, like, y'all don't need to know where I am, I'm in the woods somewhere, you know? <laughs> if I'm going to recharge, it's going to be somewhere out there. So raise your hand if you're a city person and you actually really dig the hustle and bustle and excitement of the city. Who's that? All right. Do I have quiet people? Mountain people? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Camping. Saltbox goes camping. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> So needless to say, I was on the subway, the train, and I was feeling like we were camping. No, we, it did not feel like that at all, right? Who's been on subway? It smells good. You have personal space. Mm-hmm. You're not concerned about the poles that your kids are touching, <laughs> right? And so it was kind of towards the end of our trip, and Pete, I know, I, didn't, I forgot to tell you I was going to tell this story, but Pete was a hero that day. You'll find out why. Um, so we're in the corner, and you know they have this section, if you've ever been in one, where uh, the bench is a little extra wide, and there's some posts um, in case somebody has a wheelchair or in case they have any sort of limitation that would require extra space. And so we're, we're kind of towards the back, and the doors open, and more people get on. It's like, oh, more people, yeah, more people. And this one gentleman comes and he sits down on the bench across from us. And at this point, we've got our oldest standing here and the youngest kind of here. And Pete and I are back here because we had filtered in first. And well, don't you know, the man starts talking to himself, you know, and there's a, a slight tick and my mental health brain is taking over. And I'm like, okay, it's probably just like mild schizophrenia or something like that, you know, just kind of talking myself through it and just observing because that's what we do when we travel. We observe the world around us, right? And he's a little more agitated, and the tick is a little more prevalent. Um, okay, but he's not done anything yet. He's fine. We're all fine. We're just too close. But there's a woman standing next to me, and she's holding on to a pole, and her husband is there, and it looks like they're traveling with another couple. And he decides that that would be the best time to talk to her while she is purposely avoiding his eye contact because... I'm being a creeper, I'm watching this play out, right? I'm eavesdropping and I'm watching. Um, and he says, you're a whole lot of curvy woman and I think it would be great if you wanted to sit down and I will give you my seat. Well, can you, I mean, ladies, how does that go over? Depends on what culture you're from, depends on what culture you're from. She didn't like it, I'm just gonna be real. She did not like it one bit. And she, I mean, gave him the look that you would think that she was going to give him. And her husband, you know, you, you've seen the dude. The dude's, the shoulders get wider. He kind of puffs up a little bit. And he kind of stands forward like this. Or Pete takes our youngest and goes, and yanks him right back to the corner. And Dominic is kind of like, does it on his own because he's big enough. And Pete and I kind of stand side by side a little bit like here, like, I think things are going to be fine, but just in case they're not fine, maybe we should be front row first, <laughs> you know. And so he sees her face and takes it in and gets a little more agitated and raises his voice. And at this point, her husband is stepping in and the other couple that they'd been traveling with stepped in a little bit as well. 
and then he realizes that this probably isn't going to go well, and so simultaneously talking to them and also talking to himself, he starts to um, process out loud what was actually happening in his own mind, which is a gift. If you don't realize it, that is a gift of people in a mentally ill state that sometimes you just know where they stand, you know? And he did calm down a little. He says, I'm so, so sorry, something along those lines. He's like, you have to understand, I'm a black man and I was giving you a compliment. He said, I understand now that you're probably more like a white woman, is exactly what he said. And I'm starting, I'm understanding what he's saying. Are any of you actually understanding what he's saying? And she is still (laughs) stone-faced. She's not hearing it. She does not care if he was from Pluto. There is no reason that you should have spoken to me like that and called me curvy. And I was like, I'm just happy that he didn't touch you or, you know, <laughs> that there's not a fight breaking out right now or anything like that. And so he's, the words are kind of tumbling out and he's looking for grace. He is desperately looking for grace and somebody to say, hey man, I've said the wrong thing too or thought it sounded good and then it came out of my mouth and it totally didn't which we do every dang day. I've done it 15 times in the past 20 minutes, thinking I should have said something different. Why is this even important? Because he stood there with a different story playing in his head than what was playing in her head, than what was playing in my head, than what was playing in Pete's head and my kids' heads. Do you see? And collectively, we made decisions in real time based on our stories and how we expected that situation to turn out. And we left that man alone. And I will wonder about that forever. Because we were afraid of the aggression, because we weren't sure what he would receive, and because by the end, he had talked himself out of being with and around us because nobody knew how to respond, that he walked off the train while it was moving into another cabin just to be away from us. That's how isolated that felt for that gentleman. And the story in my head was wrestling back and forth. You know that you could say this, and this would be a bridge. You know that you can say, is it your place? Should you say it? Is it different because you're not at work because you have your kids with you? What does this have to do with the bridge between the people who are doing the work that Jesus is praying for and the people who are yet to come? I'm not going to pretend to know where that gentleman stood on faith or anything. But I know it. I wish it had gone down differently. And that's exactly who Jesus was praying for, the people who are yet to come and hear this message. Our kids were set apart in that moment. Okay, we're thinking about this word sanctified. What did we do to our kids? We set them apart for a moment, claiming them as ours, right? That's what Jesus is saying in this. He is saying, because I have set you apart, I identify with you, you identify with me. We have, I gave you a name. We gave them our last name. We gave them our bodies in case something should go down. We set them apart. We protected them. We did not yank them out of the world. We talked them through it, and something bad could have happened. That is exactly what God is saying in this instance. Does that make sense? You're going to see some stuff, and you're going to regret some stuff, and you're going to wish you had said some stuff, 
but it's going to be okay. Unity will come because you have my name. I want you to have everything I have, he says in this passage. I want you to have everything I have. Do you understand what he has? I want my kids to have everything I have. Take my house, take my money, take my vehicle, take my life, if that's what's required to protect you any day of the week. That's powerful. That's what he's extending to us. He goes so far then to say, okay, where is this gentleman? I don't know. I've prayed for him the past three nights. He's come to mind as I've laid in bed. I didn't tell you that, honey, but he still keeps coming to mind. And it makes me tear up a little. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the ones who are doing the work, the ones who should know better, like me, when those critical voices come in and say, why didn't you say something, right? It's not just for them. It's, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This part gets me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me and where I am and to see my glory and the glory you've given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. And righteous Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Nobody had to save the day in that train. There just needed to be a little love there. That was it. You see this beautiful progression from Jesus praying for himself to praying for the people who already know him and are continuing to do the work and then the people who are going to come into knowing him and what does he end with? He actually ends with love. From bring me back to my deity to be united, making the name known, give you everything I have, let's share in this, to outer circle rings, it's love. It's, you're going to be okay. Hey, I see you. We can belong to each other just for a minute, even if it's over, we like the same sports team. You need rest too, go ahead and take a seat, sir. You're fine, I've said things that I regret. Extending the olive branch, right? I'm glad that I have those moments where I feel like I could have done something different. Now, I'm glad that the story I told myself wasn't the story I'm still telling myself. Maybe it was a missed opportunity. Maybe because the piece wasn't fully there, I was right to keep my mouth closed. I'm not sure. But in that eavesdropping, I learned something about me, and I learned something about my father and the way he sees us, thanks to John 17. Eavesdropping actually came from the word eavesdrip, the water running off the roof. Did you guys know that? It came to refer to somebody who was looking through the window like this, trying to get information. 
And through all this learning and this forming and this discipleship, the message is not that we have to be perfect. The message is to learn to be present when we're really uncomfortable. And the message is to look to Jesus and to look to God and to look to Holy Spirit in this moment and see how precious that eavesdropping actually was. And to compare everything we experience throughout the week, throughout our day, inside our heads, inside the heads of other people, to that truth. Has anybody heard of Eugene Peterson? He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> He's one of my favorite, favorite pastors. Um, he actually passed in, in 2018, and I think it was the first pastor who passed that I actually, I mourned somebody I'd never actually met. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. He wrote the message version of the Bible, which is incredibly poetic. And some of the reason that I love it so much is that I've been in times that have just been so difficult and painful that I didn't want the NIV blaring at me. You know, I don't want that New King James, like, telling me things that I don't understand. I wanted the poetry to touch my heart. And one of the most beautiful things is not necessarily the words that, that he's written. He's written tons of books. I want to say maybe like 17. If you get an opportunity to get your hands on this one, this is his biography. It's beautiful. But the most lasting thing that I've learned about Pastor Peterson is the way he affected his own kids. At the funeral, his son Leif read this poem because his son Leif had been observing the fruit of his life for his entire life. And this is what he had to say. He titled it appropriately, The Message. It's almost laughable how you fooled them how for 30 years every week you made them think you were actually saying something new. They thought you were a magician in your long black robe, hiding so much up your ample sleeves, always pulling something fresh and making them think it was just for them. And that's just the beginning. There was more. Casual conversations at church picnics, unmemorable chats at the local Denny's over eggs and toast, counseling sessions that saved marriages, maybe even lives. And they didn't know what a fraud you were. They didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret, only saw the magic you performed, how you made the mysterious, the ominous, the holy into a cup of coffee, how you made a cup of coffee into an act of grace, how you could make God into something that actually worked for them. It's so funny they didn't notice. So many times I've wanted to expose you, tell them what you've been up to, and now you're doing it again. You've got this new group fooled into thinking you're worth millions. They're printing it on t-shirts and coffee mugs, message pads, a new version every week, and some new flock. But I must say this, they've widened your audience. And now you're fooling them all over the world, in churches and schools and homes and prisons, and it's so funny, only my inheritance keeps me from giving you away, because I alone know your secret. Our kids think they know our secrets, don't they? They really do, these kids. How you fooled them all, taking something so simple that a child could understand and turning it into a career, a vocation, an empire. I know. Because for 50 years, you've been telling me the secret. For 50 years, you've stealed into my room at night and whispered softly to my sleeping head, it's the same message over and over, and you don't vary in it one bit. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That is what I want my kids eavesdropping in on every day. 80-20 would be awesome. Shoot, 60-40 would be a win, I feel like, at this point, right? 
because sometimes I don't always behave as if I had had an holy, holy overhearing experience. So I'm just going to leave you with that. And I'm going to circle back. Do you remember the question we started with? Does God love everyone? And in parentheses in the search box, does God love me? Right? The short answer, yeah, with everything he has. That's the simple one. That's the Christian one. That's the one we're going to give people. The longer truth is that it's the work of sanctification and discipleship, right? It's smaller questions we have to ask ourselves. Who are you listening to? Are the voices encouraging or critical, drama-filled, truthful, shameful, even-keeled, cultural? What's the story you're telling yourself about yourself and about God? About the things that are happening in your life? Are you the victim? Are you constantly the bad guy? Outcast? Superhero? Do you love saving the day? Should your manuscript be headed for the shredder? I've had some that really did need to be headed for the shredder. Are there parts that are still solid and others that you need to revamp and those parts you need to shore up with God? Maybe you just did that. Maybe you rewrote a whole new chapter and you need to take a minute to celebrate that that just happened to you. We've got to celebrate those moments. But the good thing is you don't do it alone. And because Saltbox Church is so committed to actual discipleship, not leaving people alone as they ask these questions, we'd love for you to stay for the picnic. We'd love for you to pray with the prayer team. They're going to be down, um, down here up front when we finish up. We're going to worship a little bit here at the end. I'd love for you to come ask me questions. I may botch the answer to that question. <laughs> I may. I may uh, not know. I may have to go get you information. I may refer you to somebody else so that they can answer that question. But the fact of the matter is, I just want to be with you. And I want you to be with each other. Um, also, a quick reminder that we do have Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights at the Hub at 7 o'clock. These people are gifted in the art of asking hard questions and not leaving people alone as they look for the answers. So Tuesday nights at 7, please join us. Let's close in prayer. Father, just thank you. Thank you so much that we don't always have to, we never, we literally never have to have somebody else tell us what you say. We can go straight to the word and we can hear your voice directly. And God, for some of us, it's been way too long that we've, asking, we've been asking the people around us for advice or translation or interpretation on things that you've said ever so clearly that we need to be just sitting in ourselves. Lord, I pray against those mutations, those stories that just take on a life of their own that don't even make sense, God. It's not what you said. It's not how we actually feel about it. And certainly, even if we think it's true, it doesn't make sense to anybody if we would only just say it out loud. God, your legacy is truth and protection 
and belonging and eternity, everything you want to give us, Lord. Help us to grow in a way that removes the obstacles to simply receiving it. Lord, I pray grace among us that we can be a church, a people that's just, we're unflinching, Lord, when weird things happen, when hard things are spoken, when true, real questions are asked, that it doesn't threaten our egos, our temperamental theology, our, the way we see the world, that we can both believe what we believe and entertain other people's real doubts and questions. Help us to be a people who navigate being left in this world and protected by you still having work to do in such a way that your love shines through more than anything else. Forgive us when we've fallen short, God. And also thank you for this next minute and the minute after and the minute after that because you keep giving us chances to get it right. We love you and we thank you so much. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.